Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Glad that you're here. Uh, those of you who are here. <laughs> and those who are watching via video, glad that you're joining with us. Uh, Wednesday nights, what we do is we take a book of the Bible and we go through it verse at a time, putting it all in context. We have been on quite the quest, starting in Genesis and going through the Old Testament here. And uh, we are in Judges, the 14th chapter, and we are now to the story of Samson. Now, Judges is, uh, is kind of like the wild, wild west of uh, Jewish history, if you will. Um, not a whole lot of direction, not a whole lot of discipline. Uh, Moses and all the great patriarchs uh, have died. God, they gave them everything they needed and God promised, if you'll do the right thing, I will bless you and you will succeed in an amazing way. If you do the wrong thing, I will kick your butt. And, uh, and this is what happens over and over again during the, the time of the judges. I mean, as long as they're doing what was right, God would bless them, but inevitably they would fall into the sins and patterns of the nations around them, into idolatry and all kinds of foolishness. They would forget God. God would bring judgment on them. Uh, they would cry out to God. God would send someone to pull them out of the fire. And, and these were the people referred to as judges. Uh, and uh, oftentimes, very, some of them were very strange people. <laughs> Uh, um, pretty imperfect uh, vessels to say the least but God would use these men and women uh, as we read about Deborah to pull the nation out of trouble and then they would, the nation would repent and, and God would bless them and they would succeed and then the judge would die and then they'd slide back into the old patterns and the cycle goes on and on so we are in uh, the 14th chapter of Judges we are to uh, Samson last uh, time we were together we uh, read about the birth of Samson and how the angel had appeared to the parents and said, this is going to be a special child. I want you to uh, set him aside to me and never cut his hair and he's never to have any uh, wine or fermented fruit or, or any of these things and he's just totally, totally dedicated to me in a special way. And uh, so he grows up, the Samson boy. And uh, we pick it up at verse 1 of chapter 14. Uh, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. And he thought, hey, Ho Chi Mama, good looking chick. I like this girl. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go get her for me as my wife. I like this one. I picked this one. And uh, now um, his father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all your people? They were very big and marrying cousins back then. But uh, uh, do you, you know, why, why not at least, if not one of the relatives, why not, you know, at least a Jew, your, your own people? Uh, and in point of fact, they were disturbed because what he was doing was against the law of Moses. Uh, God had told them not to go to other nations, uh, but to, you know, stay separate and stuff. And said, must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines, these people that don't know God in any way, shape, or form, to get a, to get a wife? But Samson said, get her for me. She's the right one for me. That's the one. She's the one. The one. Okay. And uh, now his parents did not know that this, now this is going to be very odd, verse of scripture here. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord. So God had actually turned his heart towards this woman so that he would go pick this Philistine woman because uh, the Lord was looking for an occasion to confront the Philistines for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Now, really, 
difficult portion of scripture here. And let's see how we can uh, negotiate through this as, as best we can. And I'm sure all kinds of people have different viewpoints on this. I'll, I'll tell you mine. Um, generally speaking, I mean, if you were to ask me, does God compromise his word uh, so that you can go do something else? Or would God tell you to do something that would, would be against his word? My answer overwhelmingly would be no. Okay? Particularly when it comes to matters of of, of solidly moral nature. In other words, you know, God's not going to tell you to go commit adultery. All right? I mean, I'd have a real problem with that. You'd have a tough time selling that one to me, though many have tried. You know, well, I just, I just knew it was God's will. I just knew God brought her into my lap. And I, I know I'm an adulterating slime bag, but it was God, you know. And No, it wasn't God, okay? I don't believe God is schizophrenic and, and certainly against his nature have you do things that are horribly offensive to him. Having said that, there are a few times in the scripture where we will see God directing someone a little bit against the rules. And uh, this is one of those times. Now, in point of fact here, this is not a major moral thing. He's not committing adultery or whatever. It was part of the law of Moses. You know, here's how you do and you shouldn't connect with these other people and stuff like that. Um, a, a great example would be like when uh, um, God told, uh, was it Samuel, to go anoint David as king. And he says, well, I can't do that. If Saul finds about it, he'll kill me. He'll kill me if he finds out I'm going to go anoint. And, and God says, well, if anybody asks him, just tell him you're going to go sacrifice. Hello? <laughs> now this is God. Now did he probably sacrifice when he got there? Probably. But we would really put that in the category of a white lie, would you not? You know, that's not really why you're going. Why are you going? I'm going to uh, sacrifice. Now God told him to say this. Now, you know, there's, there's some things where you go, whoa, wait a minute. All right? But again, these are pretty small standard things and not against major... Uh, uh, For example, I remember some years ago when uh, uh, we were smuggling Bibles into communist Europe. Um, You know, they would ask us when we came into the border, do you have anything to declare? And we go, nope. And uh, and some Christians gave us a hard time with that. You're lying. No, I'm not lying. I just got nothing to declare. (laughs) Well, you're not really telling the truth because you got a bunch of Bibles. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Say, oh, yeah, by the way, we're smuggling Bibles into your country. Okay? Now, um, and there are people who really have problems with that because they think, you know, la, 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 la. Jesus, when he and his apostles were going along and eating grains of wheat through the field, they were, in essence, violating what they understood to be the Sabbath laws. And they got on Jesus about it. And Jesus said, oh, chill out. I said, don't you read where David went in with his men and they went into the holy place and ate food they weren't supposed to? That was against the law. You know, and God didn't get mad at them. So while we understand this sense of God does not contradict himself, um, you can't help but notice that there are some occasions where there are some rather strange uh, exceptions. But they're not in terms of a major moral. I mean, God didn't tell anybody to kill anybody or to commit adultery against anybody or to steal. You know what I'm saying? Those are kind of the biggies. But uh, you'll find a couple occasions like this. Um, 
problematic again because some people are very, very black and white in their viewpoint of these things and I don't know how they would explain the scripture. They would just be confused and come up with some bizarre explanation uh, or some of the other ones I just quoted to you because they would really struggle with it. Um, these tend to be the same people who believe that all sins are the same and in a sense they are in that sin is sin, okay, in terms of the holiness of God, but trust me, they're not all the same. God doesn't even view them all the same. Jesus said in, in, uh, in, in the judgment uh, to come, there will be some who will receive much punishment and some few punishment. Why? Because there's degrees of punishment in hell. You know, I'm sure even the nicest spot in hell is a drag, you know, but uh, there's degrees. If you're planning on going to hell, by the way, you want to find a nice spot. But uh, <laughs> just like in heaven, there's going to be degrees of reward and there will be. You know, and even the worst place in heaven is going to just blow away the best place in hell, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but there's varying degrees of that. For example, if you stub your toe and an expletive flies out of your mouth, you shouldn't do that. Okay. But it's not the same as you taking out a gun and shooting the guy next to you in the head. All right. Well, they're both sins. Yeah, but it's not the same. Okay. There are degrees of these things and... Uh, um, so anyway, of anything of, of, of serious moral character, I would have a hard time. And again, in general, don't try and go down paths where, you know, you get yourself in, in these troubles. But you will find these uh, situations in the scriptures. And this is one, the Lord who is actually directing him to do something that uh, in the law was instructed not to do. Very interesting. Anyway, so Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring towards him. Now they were coming down together, but at this point he had to be by himself because we'll see in a minute that his mom and dad didn't see it. Uh, but so at some point Samson was by himself and this young lion comes roaring towards him. And then he has his first experience. I mean, at this point, at this point he's a young man at this point. You know, as a child, through his teens, all these things, you know, he's been dedicated to God and Ain't nothing happened yet, you know. I mean, no, nothing special, nothing unusual happens. So anyway, he wants to go marry this chick that he saw. And all of a sudden, this lion comes roaring. And I'm sure his first inclination was, ah, you know, freaking out. There's a lion coming. This is bad news. They eat people. All right. But suddenly, the spirit of the Lord comes upon him in power. And something happens to Samson. It transforms the man. And he is empowered and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. I don't know how easy it is to tear a goat, but apparently uh, uh, a lot easier than a lion, I'll tell you that. So anyway, he, he kills this lion, but he doesn't tell his mother and father what he had done. We don't know why he didn't tell them. It might have freaked him out. You know, if all of a sudden you know, you step out into the street and the semi-truck starts coming to you. Ah! And all of a sudden you go, ooh, and you pick it up, you toss it over to the side. That might freak you out. Might want to share that with everybody. So, so this freaks you out. Now, what's real interesting about Samson is the Bible does not say there is anything of any significance to him in terms of a physical nature. Now, if you were to see the stories or movies of Samson, there's always this real, you know, ripped, manly man, you know, playing Samson. Uh, but there's no indication that he was ripped in any way, shape, or form. Uh, he could have been a wussy guy like me, for all we know. You know, in fact, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he wasn't 
uh, of anything of any physical nature and the Bible usually points these things out you know it'll go out to if there's something usually physically uh, remarkable about somebody it'll mention about how gorgeous they are how no blemishes or the color of their hair or whatever you know Um, or if they were big or fat or whatever the different things little I mean it would talk about these things but it never says anything about Samson we have to assume this guy looked no different than the typical everyday guy and all of a sudden boom he does something that he could never do on his own. Of course, the, the uh, analogies for us as Christians is, is, is obvious, you know. You know, a lot of people get frustrated with uh, trying to live their Christianity. And, uh, um, and what, I, what we try to point out is that if you're going to really succeed in living Christianity, you have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. What we were talking about recently in the message about, you know, between, uh, you know, the acts of the flesh versus the, the fruits of the spirit. You know, these things, you don't want to go in these. And, and the key is how you think. If you will keep spiritually minded, it allows the spirit of God to empower you to do things you couldn't normally do. Love people you couldn't normally love. Be kind to people you wouldn't normally be kind to. Not to react uh, harshly. Maybe you react positively, which a year ago, maybe you'd have punched somebody in the face. And you go, wow, something's happening to me. Yes, it's the power of the Holy Spirit in you to live life. So the, the analogies here are great in terms of God will empower you. And in, 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 uh, there's a great phrase that says, Christianity really isn't so much your responsibility as it is your response to his ability. See, it's not about you just being holy on your own. It's about you making a determination and you focusing on the right things so that the Spirit of God will empower you to live an extraordinary life. I love the idea of supernatural, you know, not kind of supernatural, but natural in a super way, okay, doing things that are like, holy cow, how do you do that, you know, how, in fact, I really believe that one of the signs of a spirit-filled life is people around you will go, holy cow, how do you do that? How do you respond this way? How do you live this way? How are you able to succeed when everybody else is failing? How are you, how are you able to love when everybody else is hating? How are you able to be kind when everybody else is punching? This is supernaturally God empowering us by the Holy Spirit. This is when God is glorified. Again, not up to you to pull this off. It's up to you to yield to God so that the Spirit of God can flow through you and, and, and empower you. By the way, you guys, your timer up there is... According to that, I should have shut up about three minutes ago. And my guess is, I got more time than that. So, anyway. Um, so, so, check it out. So this, so this happens, this amazing thing. Woo, wow. So he doesn't tell anybody about it. So then he went down, and then he talks uh, to the woman, and he liked her. <laughs> now, check it out. He wanted to marry her before he even talked to her. So, uh, not big on dating back then. Sometime later, he went back. To marry her. And, uh, and he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. So he's walking along and he sees this lion that he'd ripped to pieces. And he goes, wow, there's that lion that I, that I trashed. And, uh, and he turned aside and he looked at the lion's carcass. And, it, and in it was a swarm of bees and some honey. Which he scooped out with his hands and he ate it as he went along. So, I don't know, a little gross to me. But... Uh, Reaching into a lion's carcass and say, "Ooh, look, there's some honey." And uh, so he's eating that, and he's happy, and he rejoins his parents, and he gave them some of the honey. I don't know if he told them where it came from. <laughs> uh, and they ate it too. 
but he did not tell them that he'd taken it. Oh, he didn't tell them. See, he hadn't taken them. Take, told them that it came from the lion's carcass. So now his father went down to see the woman, and Samson made a feast there, as was customary for bridegrooms. Uh, when he appeared, he was given 30 champions. And so, so here's the deal. So they're going, and they're having this wedding feast. I don't know how this all worked out. I'm not big on Philistine weddings. I don't know how all this all happened. Uh, but uh, one thing that was clear, even in, in biblical times, even in Jesus' time, when they, when, remember he did the first miracle, changing water into wine at a wedding, because this wedding went on for many days. Uh, when these people got together to party, they were there to party. You know what I'm saying? It was not just, you know, let's hang out for a couple of hours. It was like days. And I'd say, why would they do that? Well, first of all, it's not like they got cars. All right, you got a used camel or something, and, and you eventually get to somewhere, and you're not going to just take off again. We're going to hang here, we're going to party until it's been worth this long walk. Okay, and now, okay, now I will go home. So when these people got together, it was a, it was a major ordeal. And I think the deal here was uh, these guys got together for this wedding and they would party for, for seven days. Now, I don't know if the wedding happened first and, and, and then the bride and groom were joined together and then they all hung around and partied for the seven days or if they partied for the seven days first before the bride and groom. I mean, I don't know. If you're big on Philistine weddings, let me know. <laughs> it was the wedding first and then there we go. Okay. Thank you. A Philistine expert, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it's kind of Eastern culture, is it? Yeah, okay. She would know. Okay. So, uh, so anyway, so they have the, the wedding first and da da da. So now, so one of the things for the bridegroom, he's the bridegroom, and then he's given these thirty champions. You know, you know, talk about bridesmaids and, and men. You know, what do you call them? Uh, bridesmaids and bridegrooms. Yeah. So he's got he got thirty of them. So he's got these thirty guys, and they're like his buds, and and they're the guys who are celebrating. You know, you know the fact that he's married. So Samson says, Hey, I want to tell you guys a riddle. And he says, if you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Now, that's a big deal back then. All right? These guys would pretty much hang on to the same clothes all week long, would be my guess, before they would wash them again. And uh, be interesting aromas flying around there. But uh, to say, I will give you 30 new sets of clothes and some of the garments, I was like, whoa. You know, this guy's got some serious jack, okay? He says, but if you can't tell me the answer, then you have to give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Now, even that was going to be a lot for these 30 guys to come up and give him 30 sets of clothes, but he was promised in return, I'll give each of you 30 sets. So he said, okay, you're on, said the 30 tough guys. He says, tell us your riddle. Let's hear it. And then he gives them this riddle. Out of the eater comes something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Well, we know what the riddle is, right? Because he's, ta- he's remembering the lion. Out of the eater comes something to eat. Out of the strong comes something sweet. He thought, this is pretty cool. Uh, again, how often honeybees wind up in lion carcasses and make honey, I don't know. But, uh, um, so he makes this riddle out of it. Well, for three days, they could not give the answer. Well, on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, listen, you've got to coax your, hus- coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Now, if these are your friends you're inviting to your wedding, you need some new friends, man. So they're threatening to kill her and her father. 
If you don't find out what it is, I mean, these guys, they were like psycho crazy guys. You know, these, of course, we're talking, you know, about Wild West. I mean, this, this was a bizarre time of life. People were extremely violent uh, to a level that I honestly, I don't think anyone here really can comprehend. That's when, when God sent these guys into this land to judge this land and to destroy this land and kill everybody and everything. From our culture and our view of looking things today, we're mortified by, why would God tell people to do this? But you have no idea how wicked these people were. And God said, look, the very reason I'm sending you in there is not because you're so great, it's because these people are so wicked that he just had had it because, you know, and this is the kind of, this is like they're friends. Over a riddle of so clothes, we will kill you. This is how violent these cultures were and, uh, and why they eventually brought so much of the judgment of God on themselves. So he says, did you do invite us here to rob us? Well, then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing. <laughs> you hate me! You hate me! I know you hate me! You don't really love me. <laughs> You've given my people a riddle and you haven't even told me the answer. Well, he says, well, I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? Well, she cried the whole seven days of the feast. <laughs> okay, now, you can say if she was a whiner. I don't know. She was probably freaking, she's going to get killed. I, I would probably be crying. <laughs> Come on, Samson, give us a break. So on the seventh day, he can't take it anymore. And he finally tells her because she continued to press him. Well, then she finds out. So then she in turn explains the riddle to her people. Again, these weren't Samson's people. These were all her family and friends and da 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 da. Some friends. Uh, well, say before sunset of the seventh day, then the men of the town said, What is sweeter than honey? And what, no, what is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? So they now knew the riddle. Well, Samson's really hacked. Instantly, he knows what happens. The girl had coughed up the info to the guys. And this is his response. You women may not appreciate this response. But he says, if you had not plowed with my heifer, that would be his beloved... Again, a very strange time of life here. If you hadn't been messing with my cow, you'd have never figured it out. Love you, baby. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, the spirit of the Lord comes on him. He's he's agitated and he's angry, and all of a sudden, just like when he was agitated, I'm sure when when attacked by the lion, all of a sudden the spirit of God comes on him again in great power. And what does he do? He leaves there and he goes down to Ashkelon and he struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of their belongings and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. 30, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't tell me. I guess he wasn't saying I would give you 30 for each one. It was just 30. You give me 30 and I'll give you 30. All right, sorry. I was mistaken. So he kills 30 guys and strips them naked. And then he brings them to the guys who figured out the riddle. And left 30 naked dead people. Well then burning with anger. Then he goes up to his father. And says, oh, he's, so, he's so ticked off. Because his heifer had coughed up the info. <laughs> and he gets mad. And he takes off. Uh, after killing these guys. And giving them the clothes and stuff. Uh, again. What the Bible is saying. God has really using this. 
to get this conflict going with Samson and the Philistines. And I want you to know something. What's really unusual about, about all of this as we read the story of Samson. It's very different than the story of, uh, of Gideon where God intentionally wanted them into such a weak position. Uh, you know, you had too many people, too many people, too many finally just 300 guys after starting with thousands. They're down to 300 guys and God says, okay, now you can go attack. And he gives them the great victory and it's, you know, all the glory goes to God because there's no way 300 guys could really pull this off. Uh, and, and even in that case, it was more about confusing the enemy. Well, in this case, because Gideon of himself wasn't anything all that in, that amazing in this case God does the opposite now he takes one guy and gives him unbelievable abilities unbelievable physical abilities that enables God to use this guy to to challenge the Philistines and uh, wreak havoc on them so anyway so he's ticked off because of the heifer and he goes home and Samson's wife the aforementioned heifer uh, was given to the friend who had attended him at his wedding So, get the picture. Samson gets mad, he goes away, because he's so ticked off. And then dad takes the girl, who had already been married to this guy, and said, huh, I wonder where he went. Okay, you can have her. And gives him to some other guy at the wedding. Very strange. Well, later on, going to chapter 15, at the time of the wheat harvest, now we don't know how long this has gone, you know, was it weeks, was it months, I don't know. Samson finally comes down, and uh, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. You know, a lot of guys uh, would bring flowers. Oh, there's a goat. I'd go with the flowers. So he t- takes a goat and he says, well, I'll go see my wife. And then he shows up and he says, I'm going to my wife's room. Well, her father steps in and goes, no, 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 no. You can't, you can't go in there. I was so sure you thoroughly hated her. I, I gave her to your friend. Again, great friends. Well, and then he says... Well, isn't her younger sister more attractive? She's cuter than the other one. Here, you can have her. <sighs> this is not the Partridge family. This is very strange stuff. Anyway, Samson's ticked off. He says, this time, I have a right to get even with the Philistines. And I will really hurt them. So he went out and caught 300 foxes. Now, how he does this, I don't know. First of all, the foxes run that closely together? <laughs> Seriously, anybody know where his tie and... But foxes are kind of loners, aren't they? So it's not like he went to one place where all the foxes hung out on Saturday night or something, right? So he'd go all over the place to get 300 foxes. So I, I presume the Spirit of God was on the sky and he had to be really quick and fast and he's running around picking up foxes all over the place. <laughs> and, and then... Where am I? What am I talking about? Okay. And then he ties their tails together uh, in pairs. And he fastened a torch to every pair of tails. And he lit the torches and he let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. Well, you can see the case. He lets all these foxes go running crazy and all over the kingdom come with these torches and they're burning everything to the ground. And uh, uh, so all their grain is on fire. So he burned up the shocks of the setting grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. I mean, he created quite the disaster from this one thing. Well, the Philistines are seriously hacked off. You can imagine. And he says, who did this? And they were sold Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his friend. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. 
they eventually got toasted anyway. Why would you, wouldn't you just go after Samson? Very dysfunctional people. Very odd. Well, then Samson gets mad. Kind of tit for tat here, okay? Samson said to him, since you've acted like this, you killed my heifer, you heifer killer! I won't stop till I get my vengeance on you. And he attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. We don't know. But basically, at this point, Samson is a one-man killing machine. This guy is a butt kicker of unbelievable level. Nobody can take him. Nobody can stop him. There's nothing they can do to him, but he doesn't overtake them and overpower him. And it's like, again... You know, it's one thing of some, you know, big yo mama guy's pulling this off. It's another if I'm pulling it off. It's like, holy cow, how's he doing that? Because the spirit of God was on him and he was so under the power of God that he was able to tear apart the enemies of God. It was absolutely amazing. So then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Edom. Well, the Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The men of Judah asked, well, what are you here for? Why, why, why have you come to fight us? He said, well, we have come to take Samson prisoner. And do to him as he did to us. Here we can see the whole thing spiraling, right? Well, he did this, and I'm going to do this. Well, I'm going to do this. Well, I'm going to do this. And then he kills a bunch, and now they're coming to kill a bunch on him because of what he did, and away we go. Well, then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Don't you realize the Philistines are rulers over us? What are you doing? Stop it! And he answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. And they said to him, listen, we, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. So 3,000 guys show up to grab Samson. And Samson said, okay, just swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. And they agreed. We'll only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes, uh, which is significant because, you know, a new rope is, is the strongest green uh, rope. And, uh, and they led him up from the rock. And as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting ah! I mean they are ticked they are so angry at this guy so here is the guy they finally have him he's tied up and they just come rushing at him um, well then the spirit of the Lord comes upon him again in power and, and this time the ropes on his arms became like charred flax man and, and the bindings dropped from his hands he just ripped those things off again amazing feats of strength and then finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey I don't understand that phrase. First of all, the donkey has to be dead. And then it has to rot away so there's nothing but a jawbone left. How that becomes a fresh jawbone, I do not understand. But he grabs a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Look, it's very fresh. And uh, so this is his weapon. He finds the jawbone of a donkey and he grabs it and he takes out a thousand men. Now, I really hope in heaven they have instant replay because I seriously, you know, I hope they got this just gigantic TiVo up there or something because I would love to see this. I mean, we're talking, you know, serious jujitsu. You know, it's, it's one thing, you know, in a movie, you know, where everything's choreographed. This one man takes out with not, not a spear, not sword, just with a jawbone of a donkey and kills and wipes out a thousand men. And you got to figure it wasn't one guy at a time. You know what I'm saying? 
It wasn't like, okay, my turn. <laughs> my turn. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming a thousand guys all go, ah! All at once. And he takes them all out. I mean, this has got to be seriously cool. Unless you're one of them. It's not very cool because you're dead. So anyway, so they wiped out a thousand guys. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys out of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. And when he'd finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone. Apparently it wasn't fresh anymore. And uh, (laughs) the place was called Ramath Lehi, which means jawbone hill. It, that's what it means, literally. I found my freedom <laughs> do, 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 do. on Jawbone Hill. Da, da. It's a it's a blues song. You guys have heard this, right? All right. So, <laughs> I don't know why you come to this church. Anyway, so so no, so, so he throws away the the no, no longer fresh Jawbone and. Uh, this is Jawbone Hill now, and uh, and he just collapses because he is so physically now. As all of a sudden it hits him, I mean he is emaciated. He is so thirsty, dying of thirst, and he and, and he because he was very thirsty, he cries out to God, "You've given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised?" And then God opened up on the hollow place there on Jawbone Hill, and all of a sudden water comes rushing out of it. A spring comes forth, and Samson drinks, and his strength is returned, and he is revived. So the spring uh, was called En-Hakor, which means caller's spring. Anyway, I guess he called it out. And it says it's still there in Lehi. At least it was when this was written. I have no idea where all that is. And then Samson led Israel for 20 years in the day, days of the Philistines. So he basically becomes this great champion. The Philistines back off uh, because they're afraid of Samson. Uh, God gives him this incredible champion. In this case, they don't need big armies and stuff like that because this one man is, is able to take on anybody and no one can withstand him. So... Uh, then we, then we read, and we're not sure exactly where in this 20 years this happens, but at some point, this, this again, a great analogy of uh, what can happen with people of faith is uh, you kind of get your eye off the prize. You kind of get, you kind of miss the important things. You know, we, we try and warn people of that. Uh, even other pastors, we try to encourage each other and say, hey, pay attention, you know, because a lot of times people get so busy working for God that they'll forget about God altogether. It's an amazing thing. It's a very bizarre thing. But they get so caught up in ministering to people and praying for people and teaching people and da-da-da-da-da that they literally have no time to pray and they have no time for personal growth in, in their own lives and then they become weak and they fall into sin. We see this all the time. Uh, that's why your pastors need your prayers and stuff. But But also why those of us in ministry need to stop and say, oh, whoa, reality check. You know, and I've done this to some of my guys you know, who are working here day and night and say, knock it off. Go home. Well, I, gotta do I don't care what you got to do. Get the heck out of here. Uh, or you're going to be unemployed. All right? You know, don't get... Because I mean, this, is, this is what happens a lot of times. I mean, that's where you get the idea of, you know, PKs, preacher's kids, you know. The kids become such hellions because dad's always gone out ministering to everybody else and failing to minister to his own family. 
and uh, this is a trap. This is a trap. You just got to be careful. As elders or leaders in the church, some of you guys can get so busy teaching and everything else that your own personal life, your own personal family life starts to suffer. And, uh, and that becomes a, a, a major cause of alarm, certainly to me. And it's something I'm always looking at, by the way. Uh, when people come to me and they claim to be very spiritual in nature, you know, I know this and I know that, and I understand, I've done this, you know, and I, all I'm really hearing is blah, 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 blah. I'm not listening to them. I'm looking at how they treat their wife and how their kids react around them, you see. Because while the guy might be flawed, and he probably is, if his family is solid, that speaks reams to me. You see what I'm saying? Whereas on the other hand, a guy might be, he might be able to know every verse of the Bible by, by heart, but yet if his family is a mess, his wife hates him, and his kids disrespect him, and it's, you know, to me, that's a serious alarm. Okay? You can, that's why I always talk so much about family, because it really, and it's not because I run around talking about this stuff for a, a living, doing laugh your way. I do this because I always talk about this stuff. You know, it's not something I'm generating. To me, Christianity, man, if you can't live this at home, you can't live this. If you can't, the, the greatest testing tube of whether or not you really are getting this is not what happens in here. It's not what happens at your small group. It is not what happens when you're leading a Bible study. It's not what happens when you're sharing your faith with somebody. Your best example and true test of whether or not you're living this is what happens when you're home with that wife of yours, with that husband of yours, and with those children of yours. If you can't live this there, you are not living this. Everything else, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't mean jack squat to me. So we see Samson, he's doing these great things, and eventually, despite God using him and stuff like that, now he's falling into trouble. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. And he went in to spend the night with her. Obviously not supposed to be doing this. Nowhere does it say here that God had him do these things uh, because uh, he was trying to accomplish anything. He did with the wedding situation. But uh, I think at this point, Samson's getting off the reservation. All right? And he's, he's starting to get in trouble here. Well, he does go and he's, you know, visiting the prostitute. Uh, I'm sure they were just sleeping. I'm sure that's all it was. Uh, anyway, the people of Gaza were told, hey, Samson's in town. Ooh, 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 I saw him go in that place. So they surrounded the place and they lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. And they made no night move during the night. They said, we'll kill him at dawn. We'll get him. When he comes out at dawn, we'll get him. Well, Samson, he lay there only until about the middle of the night. And then he got up and he went out and he took the doors of the city gate. Now, you've got to get the picture. Um, when they say doors, they're not like these doors. You know what I'm saying? These are huge doors that are designed to you barricade you keep invading armies out they're extremely heavy i have no idea what these something like this would weigh but these are unbelievably strong doors um they didn't even have the kind of technology to do hollow doors like what we have today these things are solid as a rock this guy gets up and he takes the doors of the city gate together with the two posts which again have to be huge metal they, they didn't have aluminum you know <laughs> they're posed. i mean this this is all heavy duty stuff and he tears them off just rips them off both the doors and he lifts them to his shoulders and he carries them to the top of the hill that faces hebron 
You say, well, where were all the guys who were waiting to kill him? My guess is they didn't do anything. <laughs> when a guy walks out and rips the doors of the city and goes, huh, and starts walking to the top of the hill, you let that guy alone. You know what I'm saying? Give him some space. I, you know, I really got to get home. My wife's going to be looking for me. It's, it's a little light, you know. Well, sometime later, and by the way, it's interesting here. That there's, there's, there's an interesting parallel. Uh, it's interesting that the, the Spirit of God still was on him, even when he was sinning and falling. So, and, and there again is something that happens where people will start, and I think it's one of the traps that some of these people, uh, as they grow in their faith and become leaders, other pastors or just leaders of, I mean, you could be a Bible study leader and have great things, and when you're sharing and, 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 and it just seems like God's really using you and stuff, but your personal life is a disaster, maybe you're into porn up to your eyeballs, maybe you're flirting with somebody else's wife, I mean, God only knows what some people get caught into, but yet when they get into the role where, where God's called them, God still seems to use them and anoint them, and, and, it, it, and it fools them, it confuses them, and they think God's still with them, it's, it's like they don't get it. Does that make any sense to you? I know of guys who uh, were like this, that they would pray for people. Whenever they would pray for people, they would get healed and just amazing things. And these guys, at some point, become so wicked in their own lives that they are literally behind the... I won't mention any names and stuff, but uh, you'd be shocked about how some of these great healing evangelists and stuff acted and behaved. Um, you know, where they were... Some of them were serious alcoholics... Uh, I knew of one who was uh, into homosexuality and stuff like that. Nobody else knew. The people who were close to them knew. You know, that's how I found out talking to these guys. And uh, I said, are you kidding me? They said, no, man, it's weird. And I said, what do you do? Well, you know, they were just employees of the guy. They worked for him. And, uh, they, but they would say the weirdest thing is that we know how this guy's living. But when he steps out on that platform, God is still using him. The power of God falls in him and unbelievable miracles happen. Very, you say, how does that work? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, 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 it's one of those mysteries. But don't fool yourself. I mean, if you're not right, you're not right. I don't care what is still happening as a result. And these guys get pulled into these situations where they're, um, they think they're okay. Not realizing that they're in great, great trouble. So, uh, so anyway, so God still uses them. And then sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Ooh, now we're getting to it. All right. Samson and Delilah. Again, no indication here that God is behind this deal. Here's a guy who's losing his way. He's getting off the reservation. He falls in love with this woman named Delilah. And the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, Listen, if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him, each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So they offer her all this money. Find out his power. Well, so Delilah tells, said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. <laughs> Excuse me? And, and we'll pick this up next week when we come back to this because as, as we go into the story, because we're going to see how she keeps asking him, how can I destroy you? How can I destroy you? Now you would think, Get the heck out of Dodge, right? If you're dating someone and they're saying, listen, I want to know how I can kill you. <laughs> you need to move on. But, but there's a great lesson here. Let me hit on this real quickly. And then I'll probably harp on this again next week. Especially you young, you're not young. Not all of you are young. Some of you aren't so young. Just you single ones. 
some of you act very badly. It doesn't have nothing to do with age. You single women, you single men, for the love of God, when you're dating somebody, don't be having sex with them. Because that's what happens with him. He is having sex with this woman. And even though she comes out and willfully is trying to find out how to destroy him, he doesn't get it. You say, how is that? I'll tell you why. Because sex makes you stupid. It does. It does. Sex will make you crazy. Just dumb as a brick. And it's supposed to. It's supposed That's how when you get two people together who are married and living for a lifetime, if it wasn't for some stupid medicine in your head, you'd go crazy with each other. Sex is that delightfully glorious thing that, you know, okay. You know what I'm saying? And it kind of just keeps resetting the meter for you and it's designed to hold two people together. But you jump into this medicine before you're married. It makes you just flat out stupid. And the number of people, and I'll bet you half of you could raise your hand with some of your own stories of saying, you know, well, I dated that one person and I don't know what I was thinking. And he was doing this and she was doing that and they were saying this and he was a two-timing and, or he'd abuse me and beat me up and I don't know why. I don't know why. I stayed with him. I'll tell you why. Because you were screwing the guy. <laughs> and sex will make you stupid. You don't, you the minute, you, and you don't even have to have sex. All you got to do is get real heavy physically involved and the endorphins from this will make you dumb as a brick. That's why you want to keep a clear break when you're first dating someone to really discover who this person is. And then you can make an intelligent choice. But you can't make an intelligent choice if you're having sex with them. Because it makes you stupid. As stupid as it can make you. Again, in marriage, it's supposed to make you stupid. That's how you can live with each other for all. But you've already at this point hopefully gone into making a solid decision. You're really seeing who the person is, you know, da-da-da-da-da, and find out their character, and I can live with this woman, and I know her values and stuff like that. Then we get together, and God uses this wonderful, stupid medicine to keep us together for the rest of our lives. But when you're dating, and you're doing, particularly when you're doing this early, and you start getting physically involved with these men, a lot of you women in the world, I know what you're thinking. Oh, I just want him to love me. I just know he loves me. Yeah, you keep putting out, he'll just love you for a long time. The minute you, that's why you don't see what a jerk he is. That's why you don't see what a disaster you're getting into. Some of you guys, the same way, that's why you're hooking up with some woman who is going to take you for a ride and rip you off. And it's amazing how often you will hear people say, I don't know how that happened. I don't know how that happened. Whenever they do that, $100, they're screwing the guy. I'm telling, I shouldn't be saying that, I'm be more holy than that, but they're having relationships, you know, you know, we're past that already, the cat's out of the bag, you're screwing a guy, you shouldn't be screwing a guy, alright, that's what's happened, whenever you hear someone, I don't, I don't know how it happened, I, you know, I should have known, we got married and it was, you know, you know, six months after we got married, I deserved, he was insane, you didn't see this going in, have you ever known, you tell people, you didn't see what this was before you married her? Before you married him? And they'll go, no, I know. Ask them, were you having sex with him before you get married? hundred bucks says, yeah. Because it'll make you stupid. And it's exactly what happens to Samson. And this guy goes in, and when you read this story, you think, dude, are you a moron? <laughs> yes, is the answer. 
He is dumb as a brick because he's having sex with his woman and sex will make you stupid. That's the end of my sermon for tonight. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> All right, ushers, come forward. Musicians, come back. Somebody get me off the stage. <laughs> While I still have a church. Hallelujah. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace. God, give us wisdom. Help us to be smart. Help us to learn from these stories. Help us to learn from the successes and failures of others who've done the right thing and some who did incredibly stupid things. Help us to be smarter than this. Help us to walk in your wisdom, to be people of faith, people who are blessed by God, who has the kiss and the touch of God on their lives. Oh, Lord, let that be us, we pray. Bless this offering, we pray. Help us use this money for the advancement of your kingdom in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.